Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. You know you're motivated when you go to sit down and record twice in one week. It's been a while since I sat down to record twice in one week. Let me tell you, man, it's like... um. I feel like the weight of the world just got lifted off of my my shoulders. I got home and got that uh got got the, the episode, the last episode that you listened to, got that recorded. And I'm out here at the farm and I was like, man, I feel productive. I went out, I hooked my bush hog up, I cut some woods down, and then I made up my mind last night. I said, you know what? Enough I've I think I've been off for like six months now from the gym. And I was like, I gotta get back to me. I gotta get back to feeling good and taking care of myself because mental Mental wellness is only a small part of it. If we only take care of ourselves mentally and don't take care of ourselves physically, then it's the same as taking care of ourselves physically and not mentally. Yeah, we're happy and uh, we're we're not freaking out all the time. And then our body just goes to shit and starts like aging and feeling horrible and, and we start abusing it. So why not take care of the entire temple from the top down and the bottom up? Um, I got to say, though, after 22 years of fitness taking a six month break, I think it did me some good. And it allowed me uh, to do a little bit of soul searching about myself. It allowed me to prioritize and it allowed me to realize that the things that used to be important to me aren't so as so much uh, important. Don't carry Jesus. I can't talk today are not as important as they once were where muscles and walking down the beach all flexed out. (laughs) What's important is not anymore. Now feeling good and being flexible so I can actually bend over and hopefully tie my shoes without one being out of breath, but two without throwing my back out. That's very important to me. People ask me all the time, like Travis, why don't you do YouTube? Why don't you put your uh, episodes, your, your podcast episodes on YouTube? And I'll tell you, because right now, if you could see me, you would know why I'm literally sitting at the kitchen table in my drawers. I was just outside unloading an 1100 pound hay roll for my horses and my donkeys. And uh, I got sweat running down my legs. My, I'm wearing these, these gray Hanes, his way shorts, and they're just covered in sweat. I sweat running down my back. And I was like, man, I got to sit down. I feel like recording an episode. So that's why I got my titties out. I got, I got water underneath my titties right now. This is great. This is good stuff. And I'm just comfortable. And I got my socks on. So it looks a little weird. I'm just sitting here in drawers and socks recording this episode. But I'm having a good time. I'm excited because... Yesterday, I said, you know what, I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to get back to taking care of me. And so I went to the store and I bought all these ingredients to make some chicken. And I was like, I'm going to do some healthy chicken. But by the time I was done, 
Man, I had so much I had so much butter in that pan. Like I don't know how I haven't had a heart attack today. I think I cooked I braised these no, not braised, I sauteed these chicken uh thighs in like three pounds of butter. But they were delicious. <laughs> At least they had garlic and onion, right? Um where we want to go today with today's episode, I'll tell you where we want to go. Um, I want to go to like managing flashbacks because we talked a little bit about that. And I want to talk about to like some signs and symptoms of people that may be in um, a mental health crisis. And let's just dive into it, right? So I know when I was going through some things. Uh, I always ask people in my class, I'm like, do you know what post-traumatic stress looks like if it walked through these doors? And most people were like, no. But the, the, the thing is, if if you're familiar with a human being, with a person, and they start showing signs of a mental health crisis, chances are, if you know what to look for, you can spot it. And some of the things with me were like my appearance. I just started letting it go um, as far as work went. Now, I was, I come from the United States Marine Corps where we take a lot of pride in our uniforms. And then all of a sudden I didn't really give a shit about my uniforms anymore. Like sometimes you'd catch me, one boot would be polished, one would be scuffed up. My shave wouldn't be tight anymore. And there, that was a sign, you know, that like, Hey, that Travis isn't taking care of himself. I had a, uh, I had a bank of sick days cause I never called out sick. And then I started banging out sick all the time. I started putting myself in dangerous situations at work, situations that were already dangerous. I just started um, making them a little more dangerous. And by doing so, that jeopardized everybody else. And I also tell people, man, if you worked on a scene with a guy like me at some point, you were in danger too. And you just probably didn't even realize it because you didn't know the horrible headspace that I was in. And if you knew it... Nobody ever said anything back then because we always tried to pretend like, well, you know, whatever that person's going through, it's not my business. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you're in emergency services and someone next to you on your crew or on your job is on an emergency scene with you, it's every bit of your business to know what they're going through and how they're dealing with it and how they're coping with it. Because one time a guy like me, if you were working with a guy like me, you were in complete danger. And you just didn't even know it sometimes. So yeah, it's every bit of our business to know what our brother and sister are going through. We have to make it a priority to take care of one another. I remember when I was at one of my lowest points and I was actually dying inside for somebody to ask me and to pull me to the side and just ask me, Travis, are you all right? I mean, I was, I was acting out at work. I was doing things like, uh, I want to, I want to talk about this real quick. How do we cope with the things that we see on this job? And how do we, how do first responders and military deal with the things that they see? I'll let you say it out loud right now. How do you think military and emergency service people deal with the things that they see out there? And if you said joke about it, laugh about it, a laugh about it, you'd be correct. See, we develop these very dark senses of humor. And for years, everybody has known, even outside of the emergency services, that, hey, military people and emergency services people have six sense of humor, and that's their way of coping with things. Well, I want to show, tell you about a sign that, was, uh, that I showed all of the time, and, um, and I want to show you how I was asking for help without even knowing about it. If we deal with things by joking about them, if you have someone that's always joking about something, and I mean literally always always joking about dark stuff. They're telling you subconsciously that they have a problem and we never bat an eye at it. What we do is we, 
we tend to see that person as thinking, oh man, that person has, a, has just a super sick sense of humor. And they're always joking about these bad things. But what they're telling you is they truly need help. And that was me. I would actually start joking about things on the job that were completely, they were very inappropriate. There's things on the job that are off limits for first responders. And nothing was off limits to me anymore. I mean, I was really pushing people's buttons with some of the stuff that I would say and some of the stuff I was, some of the things I would do. And nobody would ever pull me to the side and be like, dude, what is up with you? To the point where I was making fun of patients that were there in front of us and I was so burned out and I wasn't helping them. And I was just a walking shell of a firefighter. I had no business being on that job anymore. And inside I was dying for somebody to come and ask me because I was too much of a coward at the time to step up and get help for myself. I was too much of a coward to say, you know what? I have a problem that needs addressing. I wouldn't do that. And for two reasons, one, we didn't do that because if we did that, that would mean that we were admitting we were weak. But two, I was afraid to know the truth. And looking back, if I could turn back the hands of time, not being share like singing that dumbass song, but if I really could turn back the hands of time, as soon as I started acting different and not myself, I would have stopped and I would have went and sought out help. And maybe just maybe a lot of things would be different in my life. And I would not have caused a lot of the issues that I had in my life moving forward from that point. I remember, I remember the alcohol getting so bad. I, I don't know if I was necessarily an alcoholic. I don't, I don't know what, what constitutes as making someone an alcoholic, but I know I did need it to sleep. And it got to a point where I would show up to work and I knew that I was legally drunk on, on many shifts, um, throughout the shift that would eventually wear off. But I knew when I would show up to work in the morning, I shouldn't be there. And I still stayed there. And that's one of the hard things for me to admit, because I know I was putting a lot of people in danger, including my, my brothers that worked with me and including this, uh, the people that I swore to protect. And the reason that I got that drunk was not that I liked the taste of alcohol. It's because at some point for me, everything that I compartmentalized throughout my entire career, everything in and through childhood, you know, I was always taught to be the strong man and to carry anything and to never have weakness, to never show weakness. I come from the United States Marine Corps where one of our main sayings is pain is weakness leaving the body. We believed in that shit. We truly thought we're not allowed to have any emotion. We're not allowed to be weak. So do you think a guy like me or a girl like that or a guy like that is going to, to just all of a sudden turn around and be susceptible to asking someone for help? Absolutely not. That's not what we do. We shoulder it all. We internalize it and we push on. And I talk about this in my course too. Why is the human body? I like asking this question. Why is the human body the only thing in the universe that defies the law of physics as it pertains to volume. You can only put so much volume into anything in the world. Anything in the world can only contain so much volume, but the first responder and the military person is the only thing in the entire universe that's expected to just keep on taking volume and never displace it and then never let anything out. Think about that for a second. So what we do our entire lives is we take and we take and we take and we take and we're so good at just taking more and taking more and taking more that over time it builds up. Where's it all going to go? And then when it starts coming out in explosive like mannerisms and behaviors, 
all of a sudden, nobody understands us. We don't understand us. We're the bad guy. We, um, our, our social circles start shrinking. We start burning bridges all around us. And, and the reason is, is because we spent our entire life taking on volume, taking on water. What happens to a ship if they can't compartmentalize the water that's coming on and shut it out and block it off? It'll sink the fucking ship. And it's no different with the first responder or the military person or anybody for that matter. Even outside of that, the spouse, the spouses that just keep taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. At some point, they get to a point where they just can't take anymore and it has to go somewhere. So that's why it's so important for us to realize even in the smallest increments, the things that you really think aren't that big of a deal. Maybe they're not that big of a deal today. But then a week from now, if you had a little something each day that wasn't that big of a deal, at the end of the week, you got seven things that you just, hey, it ain't that big of a deal that you put down inside of you. And if you keep going for the month like that, what happens at the end of the month? And one little thing all of a sudden creates a time bomb inside of you and you blow up on everybody. That's why it's important to offload it as it comes and don't just shrug it off. I think a, uh, I think a misconception about post-traumatic stress is that it's almost like a death sentence to some people. See, when I was, when I was coming up, we didn't believe in it. We didn't believe in mental health. We didn't think it was, we didn't even think it was real. We couldn't spell PTSD, honestly. And the, the problem with that is by not acknowledging it, we're, we're becoming ignorant to it by shunning it and pretending like it's not real. When somebody does come uh, begin or get diagnosed with it, like in my case, when I was diagnosed, I thought something was wrong with me. Like I thought I had something to be ashamed of. I thought I should be embarrassed about this and I needed to keep it under lock and key. And that's just just not the case. It's really not. Um, To be honest with you, completely honest in this, I'm not, I'm not talking shit here. I'm not bullshitting. I'm not blowing smoke when I say this. I'm glad I was diagnosed with that. I really am. I hate that all of the unfortunate events in my life led me to that diagnosis. But honestly, the diagnosis is a beautiful thing. And this is why that allowed me to be able to step outside of myself and start to really understand myself. It allowed me to grow, I think, leaps and bounds beyond where I would have ever been able to grow. The growth after becoming, you know, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress can be a very beautiful thing. And in my case, I decided to see it as just that. And that's why I wasn't ashamed of it. And, you know, I was for a little while, but after a while, I was like, you know what? There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's no different than someone having a leg amputated or an arm amputated. And then they feel bad when they go out in public and somebody sees that leg or whatnot, or that arm. And they don't feel like they feel like they, they're be, they're looked at differently. And the truth is they're probably so much stronger than just a normal human being. And they have to be, they have to be physically stronger and mentally stronger in that aspect. And that's the way I started seeing it. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to use this to grow from it. And it allowed me, this is the, this is the beautiful thing that I think. I I think it allowed me to really understand who I am as a person. Whereas I think most people, when before they get a diagnosis or even when they get a diagnosis and they, and they, they don't slow down and and try to figure out why they are the way that they are, what they, what they end up doing inevitably is this, I'm just this way and fuck everybody else. 
and you're just going to have to adjust to me. And this is who I am. Love it or leave it. And that's the mentality. And I think what it is is a defense mechanism to be so you don't have to really look at yourself with a magnifying glass and be like, you know what? This is who I am. But why am I the way I am? And what can I do to better myself versus stay on this this destructive path that's leading me to absolutely nowhere? And that's why I think a PTSD diagnosis is can be a beautiful thing if you choose to look at it that way because it's a perspective thing, right? How do you want to see it? Um, I chose to look at it that way just like I chose to uh, many years after I walked in on my my girlfriend having sex with another man, the guy that I was lit, or the guy that I was living with, Jesus, I just told him myself, didn't I? Fuck, that last episode is really coming to life here. Um, the girl that I was living with after four years, when I walked in on her having sex with another man, that destroyed me. It sucked. It hurt. And I'm not going to get into this whole story about it, but I actually saw it. I, this isn't something I heard about. This isn't something I suspected. A guy was at my house. I walked in and what appeared to be a man dragging a mile of dick out of my girlfriend. That's what it seemed like. It's like he was using two hands to reel it back in and it never stopped. It just kept coming out. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm not the man I thought I was right. It was impressive, but this is what I'm getting at. After harboring that hate and taking that and forcing that down too. I dealt with that. And uh, later on in life, I realized that was one of the best things that ever happened to me was walking in on that moment and catching that because it allowed me to see where I did not no longer need to be in life. And I changed course and I moved on. And you know, I, t- I talk about our divorce rate in this business being 80%. There's so many first responders. They, uh, I actually had a, had somebody come up to me the other day. They had a friend of theirs found out his wife was cheating, walked out in the front yard and just killed himself because he couldn't see past that hurt. He could not, he could not see past the fury in that moment. So without clarity, without really understanding like, Hey, my life will be better down the road for this. He walks outside and in a haste, he shot himself. And this is the story that, that was told to me. And that's just sad. And I, I, I think about so many people around the world that have done the same exact thing. They feel that hurt and they don't even want to think about the possibility of a better outcome. I tell you, know, I think I said this in the last episode, when I really sit back and reflect at every bad thing that's ever happened in my life, every one of them, every single one of them, something good has come from it. And yeah, I did say that now last episode, because I also said this, I wish those bad things would have never happened. But if bad things are going to happen, let's at least learn from them. Let's at least realize that something good can still happen. And don't shove all of that negativity down inside and create more turmoil for ourselves. Do your grieving, get over it, and press on. I've been asked in the past, Travis, what do you think about medication? Like as far as medicating for depression and anxiety and all these things. And look, I'm not saying my answer and what I did is right. I think the, it, it really boils down to the individual. In my case, I never medicated for anything. Um, my medication was alcohol for a while. And when I realized I was abusing that because I was having nightmares and I think I skipped over this earlier, but the part is I thought I could handle everything that I had went through in life. I thought I could 
compartmentalize and lock it away under lock and key, throw away the key. And those, those memories would never come back to me. And that was true. I did that for a long time. But when I hit the volume concept, the, when my cup finally spilled, when my cup finally filled out and my internally, I could no longer handle any more trauma. Everything came spilling out and I wasn't prepared for that. And then calls and scenes that I had forgotten over the years were now coming back to me in my dreams and I couldn't sleep. So I used alcohol to put me to bed. And the only time I wouldn't have nightmares is when I would get blackout drunk and that poses a problem. So that's why I abused alcohol for a long time. But as far as medication goes, I chose not to go that route because I did see some of my friends that they were taking, um, you know, Zoloft and all these other or medicines to make them happy. And when they didn't have those pills after a while, I saw them turn dependent, become dependent on those pills. And when they didn't have them, they were not the same person. And I watched them turn into a roller coaster. Like I'm naturally a, a, normally a roller coaster anyway. Like sometimes I have good days. Sometimes I have bad days and sometimes the bad day is just a, the light switch away and it's the wrong, it's the wrong word. It's the wrong, it's the wrong phrase. It's a wrong sound. It's a wrong sight. And all of a sudden my good day can get flipped upside down in a second. But here's the, here's the, the great part of that. I have the ability if I want to, to not feel sorry for myself in that moment and turn it all around. Sometimes I get caught in that trap where I let my bad day keep ruining the rest of my day versus just saying, you know what? That word did have an effect on me. That sight and that smell did have an effect on me, but I'm still here and I can enjoy this moment. And that's all it takes to turn that around. Whereas someone that doesn't have a pill becomes dependent on that pill. And they're like, I don't have my pills to get by today. And, and if their prescriptions out, then they got to fill that prescription Lord knows when they can get that refilled. And that's a whole nother issue. And I used to watch it happen time and time again. I used to tell a joke about a friend of mine that we, uh, he, he ran out of his pills and he was, he was in the middle of a panic attack on the firehouse floor, freaking the fuck out, screaming our dead guys names. And we ran We ran in to get his pills. And instead of grabbing his anxiety medicine, we, we grabbed a handful of Viagra and we gave him a handful of Viagra. And then afterwards, like 45 minutes later, or 10 minutes, 30 minutes later, whatever it is, he looked like a ghost sitting on the fucking couch because Viagra pulls all the blood from your extremities, sends it to your pecker. And he looked like Casper, the friendly ghost holding a 64 ounce ketchup bottle in his lap. This is real shit out here, people. I mean, you got to be prepared for this. That's a joke I used to tell on stage. See, that was the professional side of me coming out. Um, but no, you see, you see what I'm saying? You could become so dependent that your friends would overdose you on Viagra and you don't want that happening. So my advice to people is do what works for you. But if you're going to get on medicine, I would go into it with the mindset of, look, I'm going to do this for a short, for the short term. And I'm not going to try to have long to do it long term. I'm going to have a long term plan. And some people really need medicine because they have all these other medical conditions. Because every time I talk about this, some medical expert or somebody that thinks they're a medical expert, will pull me aside and they're like, dude, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say that because of this, this, and this, and blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm entitled to my opinion too. But if it were me, if I were going to go on to medicine, I would think about it as a short-term option versus a long-term option. That's all I'm saying. I'll spend a, I'll spend a lifetime slowly trying to 
rebuild relationships and make new relationships with people. It's not easy for me. It's, uh, it's very difficult, but I do understand this. I understand that I can't be the strongest version of myself all by myself. And what I mean by that is if you look at the roots of a tree, roots of a tree are integrated for strength and we should make relationships with people like root, like the roots of a tree versus withdraw because that's what makes us stronger. The more people that we can have around us, um, the, the, the tighter our community can be, it, 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 they almost essentially turns into tree roots and it, and it creates a strength within all of us to where we're all stronger that way. And I know for the longest time I would put people off I'm like, man, I just want to be by myself. I want to be myself. I don't want any help. I don't want this. And you know, I was so withdrawn from everything and that's when I was my weakest. And as I travel the country and as I get to meet people in every city that I go to and the more relationships I make, I find that healthier I'm becoming over time. And I thought in my mind, I thought, I'm just going to go to my farm. I'm going to recluse. And, and this thing is baby steps. It really is. It's, it takes, it takes being extremely open-minded to, in order to grow. I realized my narrow mind was only making my problems worse and it was making my life more secluded and it was making my, um, everything more volatile with me. And that's, I actually decided years ago to stop, stop trying to be like that. And it's not an overnight thing. There's no overnight cure for this. And that's why I tell people all of the time, discover yourself, learn new things, create new passions, get excited about something. And when you're excited about nothing, fucking find some excitement somewhere. You have to do it. There's, there's no other choice because you're just going to wake up miserable every day and it's going to be groundhog's day. It's going to be a miserable groundhog's day every day. So I try to, I try to forge new relationships with people. I make phone calls with people just to let them know like, Hey, I know you probably haven't heard from me in a while, but I'm still around. Um, it's good to hear your voice kind of deal. Uh, I just, I just called my buddy, Chris, (laughs) the guy I buy hay from out in the country. And we just talked about boats and hay and donkeys and horses for like 20 minutes. And I hung up the phone and it felt really good. Whereas, you know, two, three years ago, I wouldn't call anybody at all. And you'd never hear from me. And if you want to be happy, I get it. I understand some people don't want to be around people. That doesn't mean you have to recluse and, and live a life of complete solitude. That, that lifestyle, will, well, I promise you, will lead you to an extremely lonely and very mentally unwell state. I think there's a way that you can do it and balance it. There's a way to be disconnected from people but still be very connected to people. And that's what I'm working on. I'm, I'm working on, Hey, I can still be away and have my me time, but still be very connected to people other than, you know, Facebook and shit like that. I was sitting here trying to think of, think of some funny stories to tell. And maybe one day when y'all least expect it, I'll tell you the story about the time I got bit in the ass by uh, a police canine during a uh, foot pursuit when I was a cop. But I don't think today's the day for that. I will tell you this though. Prior to that incident, when I was a police officer, I was, I was very good at my job and I gave it everything I had. But then after that incident, everything I did was half-assed. I'll just leave it at that. I love when, when I, um, when I go through my phone, I have all these old notes from back, even during my comedy days, I have just a, a Rolodex of notes because what I learned when I was doing comedy was 
sometimes I would come up with an idea, but the joke wouldn't come around for three or four years sometimes. And I would go back to that. I'd, I'd scroll back in my Rolodex somewhere. I'd see something. And all of a sudden this joke would just write itself. And I got a note here. I don't understand what this means, but it kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. And the note is this, it says spelling words. My oldest can spell, spell it fast. And then it says, you just said you're going to put it in mama's butt. So I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't even remember. This is from 2016 or no, 2017. That's this note in my phone. I'm thinking that's what, what it meant was when my daughters first started, um, uh, learning how to, how to spell, we would say things really quickly and spell the words really fast until my kids could, that's what it was. And then my kids could pick up on it and then you had to be really careful. So yeah, it's apparently, I, I must've said something like that. Like I'm going to put it in your butt and maybe I think somebody was able to spell that and I got, it got me jammed up, but I don't know what that was. This is me just talking shit now. Um, also do have a note in here about, how kids not including one another makes me sad. And that is true, man. I've recently, one of my daughters came up to me and they said, when I'm on the playground, so-and-so doesn't play with me and I don't have anybody to play with. And it makes me, it makes me angry because I know how mean kids can be and how, you know, I know my daughters aren't, you know, I don't, I don't put them on a pedestal. Like they're, they're fucked up too. Like there, there can be, it can be little bitches. Let's just call it what it is, but they're also sweet. But I don't ever like to think of any kid just sitting there alone and isolated, not being able to play with other kids and other kids being mean. It, it does it does break my heart. So I told my kid the other day, I said, look, I said, if this person won't play with you, and, the, and she set it up like this. She says, so-and-so doesn't play with me when the other kid is there. They play together and don't include me. But when the other kid isn't there, this kid wants to always play with me. And so I had to tell her straight up, I'm like, then you never play with that kid again. And you let them know. You're like, look, if you can't play with me in a group or with when, when your other friends around, you don't play with me at all. Because I had this fucking kid like this growing up, man. And when I was, uh, he was, he was a year older than us and I hate this motherfucker to this day. And honestly, if I saw him, I mean, I'm not going to do shit because I got shit to lose, but back in the old day, I would love to whip his ass, but he was a piece of shit and he was a shitty friend. And he's a shitty person. He's a shitty human being. And what he would do is he'd use a big pool of us. He would, he would be friends with me for, you know, several weeks. And then when he was done and when he got everything he could get out of you, he'd switch and he'd go to another friend when he'd never include you. And I remember how, how lonely that made me feel and, and just what a shitty feeling that was. And it breaks my heart to think that kids actually treat each other, um, that way. What is it that makes kids just turn into assholes because when we are are human beings at that, right? Think about it. It's, it's, it's greed and it's selfishness and it's jealousy. And it's all these things that are created inside of us over time that turn us into these people. Because when we're little, we're just little balls of joy and we're fun. And Randy always has a say, and he goes, put, put two kids in a room with one toy and watch them fight. And it's true because that's that naturally, Hey, it's my toy, my toy. You can't have it kind of, kind of mentality, but it's, it's weird to just watch how human beings, how we grow and we grow into these disrespectful, just inconsiderate little machines. And over time, if that's not corrected, we just keep becoming that same person. I don't know where the fuck I'm going with this, but I felt like saying it. So there, I said it done. 
as always, I appreciate y'all listening and I hope there was something in here. I hope there was something that, that you could use out of this episode. Like I say, sometimes I sit down and, and I just fire away. And I, when I sit down, there's no real guidance. There's no real mission on, on where I'm going. I just kind of like to free flow and see what happens. And this today is what happened. And if there's something in here useful, great. If there's not, stay tuned. Maybe maybe the next one will have something useful. But I hope you all have a great week. Thank you so much for the support. Um, I can't do what I do without everybody. I love you all. Thank you. Bye-bye.